Hi Lifehouse Church, Seb here and welcome to our online service. We're currently in our series called Origins, which is focusing on the book of Genesis. So strap yourselves in, get your writing utensils ready because we're about to head to the message. Fantastic. Isn't that awesome? I love hearing those, my stories. And uh, yeah, thanks Rose for sharing that. That was great. But like Rose said, our lives are kind of a bit like a story. And uh, everyone's story kind of has an origin. And I think even Hollywood have kind of cottoned on to this, that we kind of are keen to know those origin stories. That there is a deep question that we all have behind everything, and that is the question, why? Why? Why are we here? Why do we act the way that we do? And so, as I said, like Hollywood have come out with all sorts of different origin stories, you know, things like Buzz Lightyear and Cruella DeVille and uh, the Joker and Wolverine and Star Wars, all of these things that try to answer that question for us, why? Why do they act? Why do they behave that way? Oh, now that we know that you know, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father, in case I've spoiled it for anybody. Now we know why, like, it sort of everything makes sense when we know that why behind the what. And we all have those origin stories. And the further we kind of go back, the deeper into our why we get. So are you ready to go deep? This morning, into our origin stories? All right. Well, if we go back three hours into my origin story, if we can have that first photo up. This is me. This is why I am here this morning. I drove the bus here this morning, and uh, so that's me early hours of this morning when I came here. But that's probably not deep enough, is it? We need to go, we need to go back a little bit further. So if we go to the next photo, uh, this is going back eight and a half years. This is why I'm here today as lead pastor. This was, uh, you know, in accordance with the scriptures. Um, the elders lay hands on me and anointed me eight and a half years ago uh, into this role. But that tells you a little bit more about uh, my origins and stuff like that. But, like, we can go back further. Uh, this, is, uh, this is why I'm here this morning with grey hair. Uh, <laughs> Now, from that laugh, I'm assuming that you think that I'm saying that my wife is stressful, but the scriptures say that like, grey hair is a crown of wisdom, so maybe I'm saying that she makes me wise. You never, you never know. So, but obviously, uh, that you know, affects who I am now. It's part of my origin story. Let's go back a little bit further. This is 22 years ago. This is me getting baptised. We've got four people getting baptised next week, but this is me getting baptised right here uh, 22 years ago, which is really, really exciting. So that tells you, again, some of, uh, a bit more of my story. But we can keep going back further. This is uh, why I am here with comparison. So this is me on the right. And you can see that I'm looking at my brother who's got the bigger zucchini. And I'm just like, oh, like. But we all kind of have this comparison. It's like, I've got three brothers, so this comparison thing kind of, you know, is a lot to do with who I am. The fact that I'm younger and smaller and not as smart as my older brother and all of that kind of stuff. Um, that sort of drives some of who I am and what I do. Let's go back further. This is me. This is why I'm here. This is, this is my mum pregnant and uh, that's me. Look at me. I'm so, so happy to be in the world, <laughs> which is really, really great. So that's kind of some of my origin story, but we can kind of keep going back a little bit further. This is my parents on their wedding day. They're just about to celebrate their 46th wedding anniversary, which is, which is awesome. And... Uh, yeah, so that's sort of uh, part of my origin story, but we can probably go back a little bit further. Let's uh, go back. We're going to go back thousands of years 
to where it, it really all began for all of us. The why we are here, the way we act, and why we do what we, what we do. Now, some of you automatically might be saying, Josh, thousands of years, I thought science has proven that everything came from nothing 13.8 billion years ago. And I'm not here this morning to give you a science lesson, and I'm not here to say that you have to choose between science and faith, and that if you choose to believe in Jesus, that you have to believe that the earth and the universe is 6,000 years old. But I do want to know of where we think the universe and the world came from drastically affects the way that we act now. That if you believe that we are just here by chance, that nothing exploded and made everything, and then via evolution, life just evolved out of this primordial slime, and we are here because of a death-upon-death struggle, survival of the fittest, then surely the logical outcome of that origin and way of thinking is why we have racism in our world today. I mean, the very fact that Hitler you know, read that book, Origin of Species, and then wrote his own book, basically called My Struggle, sort of says that, that this way of thinking, you know, he thought that he was just speeding up the evolutionary process by getting rid of everybody who was, you know, genetically inferior. When I was in Uganda, in Africa, I went to this place at the, at the Nile River. And uh, while I was there, I was explained like, what happened that in this particular field where I was standing that there was this time where Idi Amin had gathered all the disabled people together. He said that, you know, he'd treated them badly and he wanted to apologise to them. And so he gathered all of the disabled people from, uh, from the country all in this one point. They were going to have this big celebration and uh, he was going to make this apolo- uh, apology to them all. And then once he got them all there, he got bulldozers and drove them into the river. And he said, survival of the fittest. If they're fit enough to survive and they can swim, then they deserve to live. If they're unfit, then they deserve to die. That is where this thinking goes. Thinking that we are just here because of the Big Bang, evolution, survival of the fittest, that we're just animals and we have animal instincts for sex and power and comfort, why shouldn't we just act upon those impulses, those animal urges that we have? This is a quote from Richard Dawkins, one of the top uh, atheists who espouses this theory, if we can have that up. Thanks, Peter. Just the first side, yep. So the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at the bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. That's the origin of this way of thinking. But then, if uh, we look at the origin of what God says, the way things are, in contrast to that, in the beginning, God. He goes on to say, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. It says that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Just... Behold the person next to you for a moment. And just say, oh, very good. 
goes on in James, oh, sorry, Jeremiah to say, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Before the world was created, God had Christ, God had Christ choose to live with choose us to live with him and to be his holy and innocent and loving people. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Two very different worldviews, two very different ways of, of living, two very different ways of answering that question, why? Why do we act the way that we do? Why do we behave the way that we do? One leads to a life of backstabbing and hatred and competition and pointlessness. The other leads to a life of acceptance, affection, affirmation, knowing that you are chosen and made by God. Now, we can't just go, well, yep, Josh, that sounds like the better one. Definitely, I want to just choose that one. There's no point in believing it, though, if it's not true. It has to be true. Now, I'm not claiming to know everything or even to know more than Richard Dawkins. I definitely do not. But it kind of doesn't matter. Let me explain. We can have that next one up. Thanks, Peter. What do you know? Now, if this... Everything that there is to know... How much do you think we know? If we can have that next one up. Thanks, Peter. Okay. You're laughing at me. You think... You think that I don't know very, like, I mean, I think that that's still, like, quite a lot. Like, compared to all the knowledge that there is, the fact that I know that much, I think, you know, thank you, Peter, for, like, you know, I got him to do up this for me. He, he thinks that I know that much. Okay, let's have a look at uh, Richard Dawkins. How much does he know? He, he knows, like, his circle is, is a fair bit bigger than mine. Like, the number of pixels, like, he knows... Like, a lot more than, than I know. But even though he knows a lot more than I know, there's still kind of a lot that he doesn't know. And so whenever we're talking about things outside of our sphere of knowledge, we should do so very humbly. Here's the thing. Science can only deal with the what, never the why. Science denies the existence of miracles. And so shouldn't comment or should comment very humbly on the things that are outside of their knowledge just because they haven't experienced them. You see, to say that something doesn't exists requires more knowledge than to say that something does. Let me give you an example of what I mean. So, to make the statement, there is no such thing as a black rose, I have to, in order for that statement to be true, in order for me to know that that statement is true, I first have to actually go and investigate all of the roses and check their colour. So, like, I have to go to Danielle's house and, like, check and make sure that those roses that she bought when she was out, you know, looking for different things, that none of those were, were black roses. And, and, you know, and then, you know, I have to go over to Bronwyn's house and check her... And then, I, you know, I have to go every... In order for that statement to be true, to say that something... There is no such thing as a black rose... I have to check every single one. 
But in order to say that there is a black rose, I just have to find one. I just have to find one. So to say that God doesn't exist, all that that means, when Richard Dawkins, when all these people, when all these scientists and all these people kind of say God doesn't exist, all they are saying is that God is bigger than the sphere of their knowledge. Which is confirming what we already know. But for us, we don't have to go about and prove and know everything. We don't have to ask every single person on the face of the, of the planet's opinion about what they think. All we have to do is no one, the one, Jesus Christ. If we can just, Peter, if we can just zoom in on my dot of knowledge, if we can just zoom in on that. I claim to know nothing with certainty other than the reality that Jesus is the anointed one, the liberating king who was crucified on our behalf. If you know that, if that is within your sphere, you know enough. You know enough. A few weeks ago, they were holding Bob in the hospital. They were trying to work out what he knows. Does he know enough to go home on his own? So they're doing different tests and different things. And while he was there in the hospital, when they were trying to ascertain the answer to that question, there were two other people that were in the hospital too. And they were going to pass away, or so they thought, within 24 hours. And so Bob, at that time, might not have known what day it was, or he might not have been able to explain the Kalam cosmological argument or the, the fundamental flaws with radiometric dating or the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, and none of you probably have any idea what I'm talking about right now either. But what Bob did know was Jesus Christ and him crucified. And to those two men who had their last night on earth, they didn't care that Bob didn't know all those things because he was able to share the one that he did know, Jesus Christ and him crucified. He had to pass away. So don't worry about what you don't know. Worry about who you do know. Real quickly, I want to show you some black roses that science has to deal with. Some of the main arguments that speak against the Bible, or so people think, come to do with cosmology and sequence stratigraphy and the fossil record. If we can have that last picture up. So this, I don't know if anyone recognises this photo. This is a... Uh, photo that was taken uh, just a few months ago. This was the most advanced, up-to-date, clearest picture that we have of space, uh, taken by the brand new $10 billion James Webb Space Telescope that just started uh, sending pictures back in, uh, in about June. And so the headline that they gave for spending all this vast amount of money was that now we can see the origins of the universe. And they said, you see this big red cloud of stuff? Well, that is, as they said, that is a star nursery. It's where stars are born. And they said, that justifies us spending $10 billion. But what they didn't tell you in the headline, but if you 
read on about what they actually discovered with this picture is that this actually gives more indication of how the stars can't form naturally on their own than what it showed them how they could. Because you can see kind of in the background, there's millions of stars that are already formed. They're already there. They're looking back you know, across to the other side of the universe to supposedly where time began, where there was nothing and you know, nothing exploded and everything came into being. But there's millions of stars that are already in existence. And then when they looked at this red cloud of stuff, this is actually sort of superheated space dust, if you like, that's all spreading out. You can see these different movements that are sort of all heading out, and they're kind of saying, well, we kind of actually weren't necessarily expecting this because there's so much radiation that's being emitted and it's pushing things out that there is no way that we can conceivably see that stars would form on their own. Hmm. Sounds like a bit of a cosmological black rose. And it also sheds light on the fact that at the beginning of time, and we run our models of how our Earth formed, and there was a time where there was no ozone layer and no atmosphere, then life couldn't have evolved, it would have been destroyed by such intense radiation. So it actually brings up more questions than what it answers, unless God is the answer that we've actually all been looking for. I got to have dinner with a guy by the name of Greg Quick. He's Australia's leading cosmologist. Uh, I got to have dinner with him uh, when I was in Perth last year. And I went to him and I said, Greg, level with me. All this talk about black holes and the multiverse and dark matter and antimatter, none of your equations balance, do they? And when they don't balance, but you need to write a paper or do something and get it out into the world, you just invent a word to try and explain it. And he said, yes, you're right. Okay, next picture. We're going to have the next picture up. Sequence stratigraphy. So I am a geologist by background, and so one of the things that we would study is this idea of sequence stratigraphy, the fact that there's layer upon layer of different things that are laid down, um, and uh, the lower down you go, the older you get. And so basically we say, based on the current rate of deposition that we see around the world today, like a tiny little layer might take like a year, 10 years, 100 years uh, to, to make. And so uh, science then says, well, if we see big thick layers like this one, it must take millions of years to lay all of that down to see all the layer upon layer that we see in the world today. The only problem was that we saw this particular sequence, 120 meters thick it is in total, which was laid down between May 18th, 1980 and March 19th, 1988. We're going to have the next picture up. So all of those layers, layer upon layer, were not, did not take millions and millions of years to be laid down. And uh, if we can go to the next one, that's just showing where it was. So that's Mount St. Helens. It was a big eruption that happened that caused all those layers to be laid down in sequence, uh, geologically speaking, instantaneously. Okay, next one. This is another thing of sequence stratigraphy. So you can see all of the layers running across this way. And here we have a tree trunk cutting right through the middle. So if this was to take millions of years, there is no way that that tree trunk could cut through all of those particular layers. So it is a sequence stratigraphy black rose. Next we have evolution. 
And again, at university, I studied paleontology. And uh, the thing with studying paleontology, once you get up to university level, and I was writing papers and doing all this different stuff, is that there is uh, no such thing as intermediate species. So because there's no intermediate species, which is what they expected to find when they came up with this theory of evolution, they said, well, then there should be intermediate species all the way through, and we don't see any of that. So then they said, okay, well, we'll call it the punctuated equilibrium theory, that somehow things just kind of appear. And then we saw things like what we saw with that picture with the, you know, of the cosmos, and uh, the radiation and all of that stuff. And so then they go, well, we kind of, according to all our models, so what they teach in fourth year university is that maybe life evolved on Mars. And then an asteroid hit Mars and bits of rock, with life on it, somehow didn't kill the things that were on Mars because Mars had its own atmosphere somehow and all that stuff and flew through space and the things, these little primordial sort of, you know, organisms somehow survived and came all the way to Earth and crashed into Earth and somehow that's how life kind of maybe started. That's their kind of reason why we don't see any evidence of any of this stuff happening here on Earth. But then, <clears throat> even putting all that aside, we kind of say, okay, well, evolution, things still need to evolve, and uh, so we need big gaps of time between one species and another for them to evolve over time. For example, you know, there's a gap of maybe 65 million years between dinosaurs and homo sapiens, which is what we are. If we can have that next picture up. This is a fossil of a bit of mud. And I don't know how long mud stays as mud for and uh, would keep uh, doing prints in there. Uh, I don't think it would be 65 million years that mud would stay as mud. Uh, but even if it was to somehow do that. You can see that on the, on the left there, there's a human footprint, and on the right, there's a dinosaur footprint actually stepping on top of the human footprint. An evolutionary black rose. We can have the next picture up. This is a red blood cell. Red blood cells have a shelf life of about a week if they're exposed to the air. And you can see that this red blood cell is malleable, it's kind of movable, it's still, it hasn't deteriorated, still in quite good nick. The only problem is, is that this is the red blood cell from a T-Rex. That was discovered as they were carrying it, they accidentally dropped it, it broke open, and this is what they discovered on the inside. So, a bit of an evolutionary black rose for science to work out there. My personal favourite, not that anyone asked for it, and none of you will probably understand this part, but it makes sense to me. If we can have the next one up. Oh, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> this is a cross-section of the Earth, <coughs> and uh, you can see that this big blue line coming down, you can see the scale over here, at about 600 kilometres deep, there is this cold uh, oceanic crust that is basically uh, subducted down uh, into what you would call lava. And so if we're moving plate tectonics, again, uh, <coughs> modern geology has no way for how plate tectonics started. Um, but if we're moving currently at like two centimetres a year, and, uh, you know, the Earth and the universe has been around for, um, you know, 13.8 billion years, and we're moving at that slow rate, and we're moving into that hot magma. I don't know if any of you have seen, like, Terminator 2, like when, you know, the, 
you know, when Arnold Schwarzenegger at the end like goes down into the molten lava. He doesn't like sit there like for, you know, like a million years and he's still kind of formed. Like basically as soon as he goes into that molten lava, he melts, doesn't he? So the same thing would happen with rock, or so you would think. And so the fact that this rock is cold and still at its temperature that it was at the surface, and it's 600 kilometres down, suggests to me that maybe things aren't quite as old as what they seem. It's maybe a bit of a black rose that science needs to explain. I have here the uh, university biology textbook, or at least it was a textbook many, many years ago. Um, and you can see that it's, I don't know if you can see that, but it's the, it's the fifth edition. Why is it the fifth edition? Because things have changed. Our sphere of knowledge is expanding, which is great. That's what we want. We need science to keep expanding our knowledge and growing different things. But 60 years ago, scientists knew that asbestos was a great insulation. And this year, 237,000 people will die from its exposure. 70 years ago, scientists knew that thalidomide was helpful to pregnant mothers and 800,000 babies were killed. 2,500 years ago, scientists knew that the Earth was flat. And despite what you have been told, Christians largely funded the science of proving that the Earth was round in accordance with the Scriptures. You see... One year ago, Christians knew Christ and Him crucified. Ten years ago, Christians knew Christ and Him crucified. A hundred years ago, Christians knew Christ and Him crucified. Two thousand years ago, Christians knew Christ and Him crucified. And three Christ and Him crucified. And He wrote about it in this book called Genesis. Now, I'm not trying to say that science is wrong or bad or evil. Science is important. It's trying to understand this world that God has created. What I am saying is that you can put your hope in the ever-changing 5th edition, 5th edition, 6th edition, 7th edition, written by two guys called Curtis and Barnes, who you've never heard of before, place your trust in them and their current edition, or you can choose to place your trust in an unchanging, all-knowing, all-loving God. I personally have studied science a lot, and I choose to believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, and there is nothing that I see in the physical world to contradict that, and there is much I see in the supernatural world to support it. Okay, jumping then from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3, now that we have that sort of established, we want to explain some of the origins of our behaviour, why we act the way that we do. <clears throat> Starting at verse 6. So it says... So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was a delight for the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. <clears throat> and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, 
Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The woman, he said, the woman, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God made garments from skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Now that man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God expelled them from the orchard in the garden in Eden to cultivate the ground from which they had been taken. When he drove the man out, he placed them on the eastern side of the orchard in Eden, angelic sentries who used the flame of a whirling sword to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, God in this story asks a very interesting question. It wouldn't be the question that I would have asked in the situation. He says to them, Why are you naked? He doesn't say, Oh, so I uh, didn't see that you were getting changed. Like, I'll just. I'll turn around until you fix yourself up. He doesn't say, oh, didn't you realize that you were naked yesterday and the day before that? Because if we go back to Genesis 2.25, it says, although the man and his wife were naked, they were not ashamed. So it's not their nakedness that has changed, It's the introduction of shame that has changed. This same lie that got them to eat, you are not enough, is the same lie that got them to cover up, you are not acceptable. There are three things that they use to cover up. Fig leaves, bushes, and excuses. The fig leaves were for them to cover up from each other. The bushes were used to cover up or hide from God. And the excuses are what they used to hide their true motives from themselves. But this is not just the origin story of Adam and Eve. This is our story. A lot of our behaviour is based on this same way of thinking as Adam and Eve. Because despite what God promises in Psalm 84 verse 1, no good thing will he withhold from us, we still reach out our hand to take more than what God wants to give us. We want more money, we want a better job, we want that relationship we fall into the trap of always wanting more. But now, even if we can actually get it, whether we get it or whether we don't, things are worse for us because the lie shifts from my current situation is unacceptable to now I am unacceptable. We think, I can't ever now be fully seen and fully loved. I have shame, so my response is to cover up. Now, why did they use the fig leaves to make loincloths? That's what we read happened. And we believe that the word of God is true. I mean, kind of now we kind of... It makes sense, you know, if you, if you had to cover kind of one part, you kind of, you know, but why, why did they want to cover that particular part? Why didn't they want to cully, c- cover their belly buttons? Oh, they didn't have any. Why didn't they want to <laughs> cover their, their left elbow skin? Do you know that's called Uenus? 
think we should cover our weenus. <laughs> what about the hand that was the one that reached out that caused the sin in the foot? Like, no, it was comparison, wasn't it? They looked at each other, they saw the differences, and they wanted to cover over their differences. And don't we do the same? Isn't that a lot of what motivates us? We see the houses, the cars, the jobs, the affection like that other people have, and we want what they have. What we have is unacceptable, so we put makeup on, we use Instagram filters, we take the shot from just the right angle. But we work, we strive, we save, we buy the right house, we do all this stuff. A lot of what we do in life is the same as what they did. In comparison, we cover. Then we hide from God. They realized that they needed something a little bit more this time. So we hide because if he can't see us, he won't be disappointed in us. So we hide in the bushes. And depending what sin we have committed depends on how long we're hiding for. We kind of have this unwritten rule. Okay, I just I said a swear word. I, kind of, I need to hide for half a day. I've, just, I've looked at pornography. I need to hide for four days. I've had these feelings of self-doubt and inferiority, I think. I think maybe I'll just stay hidden from God because I'm unacceptable. I can't be fully seen and fully loved. If we can just make ourselves acceptable again, if we can just have enough time, if we can just do this, but we never quite get there. Then the excuses. It was her. It was him. It was the government. I would have, but my boss. I could have, but inflation. I was going to, but I didn't have time. And we don't want to take responsibility and see ourselves as unacceptable. We make excuses. How much of our lives do we spend reaching out for more than what God is giving us, striving by the sweat and the work of our brow, and then covering up from others in comparison, hiding from God in fear, and from ourselves in denial? I think this is the origin of most of our behavior. That deep down there's this fundamental drive that says, I can't be fully seen, fully known, and fully loved. So I'll strive to be fully loved with my coverings. So if this is our origin story, God didn't just want this to be a story of the origin of our sin. Our origin... (laughs) of just hiding. It is also the origin story of our redemption. And God's response is interesting because He does two things. He covers and He protects. First of all, He covers. He says those fig leaves, those bushes, those excuses, they just won't do. They will always leave you feeling trapped and hiding in this place of guilt and shame. And you'll always be fearing as though you're not enough. So what does he do? He covers. He sheds blood, makes animal skins, and covers them. Then he does something really weird. He he puts this flaming sword in front of the tree of life. Why does he do that? There were these 
two trees. There were thousands of trees that were able to eat from any apart from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That means that they were allowed to eat from the tree of life right up until this point. So why does God put this flaming sword in front of the tree of life? Is that what he's protecting? Was it because they'd done the wrong thing and he needed to bring down punishment? He said, no more. No more can you reach out and have the good thing. This is the, this is the, the best tree and I, I don't want you to have what's best. So because you're a bad boy and you're a bad girl, you can't anymore reach out and take of that tree of life. Is that the God that we're following? Or did God realize something that we need to understand as part of our story? That when they took of that tree of knowledge of good and evil and shame came and they went into this place of hiding, God said, I don't want them to live eternally separated from me. I don't want them to live eternally hiding from me. I don't want them to live eternally in this place of guilt and shame. And this temporary blood sacrifice that covered and clothed them needs to be replaced by an eternal one before they can come back and eat again of this tree, come back into eternity. But how, how can there be eternal bloodshed that someone that eternity did belong to, that was deserving of eternity, would somehow allow their blood to be shed, that only that blood shed would be truly acceptable to cover over once and for all the sin, the guilt and the shame that we have. But who that already possessed eternity in the palm of their hands, who would be willing to undergo a sword and be cast out of the garden forever? Who? Who would be willing to do that? Who would be willing to undergo a sword that never belonged for them? It's Jesus. But then the answer still comes back. The answer to the question that we had right at the beginning. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he give up his right to be able to go and take from that tree whenever he wanted? When he could give up his right to be able to be in communion with God? to be able to be face to face and walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Why would he do that? Love. Love. This is your origin story. This is my origin story. It's our redemption story. It's our love story. And it's not just meant to be read. It's meant to be lived. It's what he wants for all of us to be able to welcome us back in, to eat again of that tree of life and live with him. But we can only do it because Jesus went under the sword and shed his blood for us. Would you stand? Oh, Lord Jesus. We stand here this morning unworthy. Unworthy in our guilt and shame.
Father, we thank you that this was not just a story. This was not just a poetic retelling of something fictitious that might have happened. Your blood was really shed. The blood of the living God, the one who spoke and brought the stars into existence. The one who created us, but didn't just create us, loved us. Father, this morning I pray that if if each of us leave here knowing one thing, that we wouldn't know about T-Rex blood, that we wouldn't know about secrets of chicken free, that we wouldn't know about all this stuff, that we would leave this place today knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified and what that means for us. That it is the origin of of your love story for us. Lord, help us to receive of that love that changes, that transforms, that redeems, that heals, that brings us back into eternity with you. Thank you for tuning into our online service today. But hey, if you got something out of that message, we would love to hear from you. So why don't you head over to life.house and find the My Response section and tell us all about it. And as well as that, we know it was good tuning in online, but what's even better is being here in the house. So we run our services every Sunday at 10 a.m. So we would love to see you here, to hear how your week's been and to fellowship with you. But I hope you have a blessed week uh, and I'll see you around.